Hi, everyone. This is a podcast with Eddie Thousand Hours and Matt Clifford. Matt is the co-founder and CEO of Entrepreneur First, one of Europe's leading startup accelerators. Unlike other accelerators, they focus on taking uh, young people, recent graduates, um, and, and helping them start a startup before they have an idea and a team, so a stage earlier than most other accelerators. So I think what they've learned from this is particularly relevant to our audience, who are people who are mostly interested in doing a startup one day but haven't already started one. So we're going to talk about uh, exactly who should try out being a startup founder, and then if you are interested in that, concretely what steps uh, should you take next towards that path. So yeah, welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great. So let's start by talking about who you think should try out being a startup founder. And like yeah. from sele selecting people to entrepreneur first and also seeing how people have done on the program, what like what predictors and signs have you come across that seem particularly important? Yeah, makes sense. Um, so I think, I suppose the first thing we'd say is that we absolutely don't think that everyone should be a founder or even that everyone should try to be a founder. Uh, in fact, I, I would say kind of one very clear learning, not just from our own experience, but from, you know, observing um, you know, the ecosystem in, in, in London and elsewhere is that it's a really bad idea to try and convince people to start startups. Um, so I suppose the way we think about it is that there are kind of two questions that you can ask yourself in trying to decide whether or not you should give it a try. Uh, one is, you know, do you have a, do you actually have a good reason for wanting to do it? And the second is, conditional on being you and your skills and experience and your background, you know, is it worth trying? Uh, so I suppose the way we would say, think about the first question is, do you have a good reason? Is you know, as context, everyone who's even weighing up this decision should remember that, you know, the median financial outcome for startup founders uh, is zero, you know, kind of as in you make no money from that. Um, even though yeah. lots of the people who are in that pool of people, the pool of people trying, are, you know, they're smart and hardworking. You know, you mustn't it'd be foolish to go into this thinking that, oh, well, you know, everyone else who tries this is dumb and I'm not, therefore I'm going to be above average. You know, actually, the, the pool is pretty good and still the median outcome is zero. Uh, so therefore, you know, we would never uh, encourage anyone to start a startup because they kind of envisage it as some sort of kind of get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, instead, I would say that, you know, the best reason to start a startup is because there's something that you really want to exist and you think that you are the right person to build that thing or that you, you kind of can build that thing. You know, in other words, startup kind of almost emerges out of, you know, meeting a need that you believe exists in the world. Now, obviously, uh, entrepreneur first, because we start pre-company, I don't think that that thing um, I just talked about has to be a kind of blueprint or, you know, some sort of like perfect idea. In fact, I think that's a, a kind of illusory notion. But I do think you need what we would call an edge, by which we mean you know, some source of competitive advantage, either because you're so close to a problem that you, you know, you just can't stop thinking about it or because you have a particular skill set that represents the best chance of solving a problem. Uh, so I think we would say, you know, that the test that we use um, because of the structure of our program is, you know, imagine that you have six months of, of time uh, funders to try something. Is there something obviously that you would want to try and bring into existence in that time? Uh, and if the answer to that question is, is very obvious and yes, then, you know, actually that's not a bad reason uh, to start a startup with some caveats that I'll come on to. 
if you can't think of anything you would do in that time, if you know, if there isn't something that leaps to mind as, oh, I would definitely work on a set of, you know, problems or set of solutions in, you know, some area X, then I, you know, I, I don't think there's any particular value in you trying to be a founder for the sake of it. So that's the first test is, you know, do you actually have a good reason for wanting to do it that comes out of wanting to solve a problem? Um, I think... Okay, and, the, when it, and when you say, like, do you have a... Um, an idea. You don't just mean like some things you'd be like kind of interested in. You mean like something that you feel quite strongly about that you might work on for six months. Yeah, I don't think it has to be an idea or a product. I, I mean, like we, as you know, we start pre-company, so you know, we, we don't. Most people who join EF don't know exactly what they want to work on. But one thing we do screen for in our selection process is, is this idea almost of obsession. You know, kind of, is there at least a general area of focus? Is there yeah. some set of problems? And I think if there's not, the danger is that you, you know, you, you can wander around for a long time trying to generate startup ideas, which tends to be, you know, both dispiriting and a, and a huge waste of time. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you need some like area of focus, um, you know, which okay, may come out of a, a skill set or a, you know, it may come out of a hobby. It may come out of, you know. Uh, uh, previous work experience, it can be anything, but I, I don't think people should start startups for the sake of starting startups. Um, I mean, I, we do really see startups as applied problem solving, if you like. Um, yeah, okay, so because it's a, yeah, it's so rather than looking at the idea, like kind of steps slightly earlier, it's like um, real interest in a problem or like a skill that gives you a competitive advantage. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as you can imagine, uh, entrepreneur first, what happens a lot is people uh, who are coming at it through that kind of problem angle often meet people coming at it from the skill set angle and they actually find that there's something they can do together that's beyond what either can do alone. And you know, it's obviously quite exciting when that happens. Um, but I think if you start with neither of those things, uh, you tend to run into problems. But I would just say, you know, that's only the first test. I don't think that everyone who cares about a problem should start a startup. Um, or everyone that has an obsession. You know, the second test I mentioned is I think you have to have some belief that kind of conditional on being you and having the skills and background and experience that you do, that you believe you're likely to uh, be significantly above average. Um, and I realize that this is fraught with challenges in trying to work out whether you are. But, you know, if the medium outcome is failure, you would be foolish to start a startup unless you have some plausible reason for believing that you will do better than, better than the median. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not enough to be kind of smart, determined, and hardworking because most smart, uh, most founders are smart and uh, determined and hardworking, uh, including the unsuccessful ones. So I think what we say is, and you know, this is the kind of one of the overall goals of Entrepreneur First is how can we lower the cost, both financial and emotional and career cost, of finding out whether you actually are that sort of person. Because right now, mm -hmm. we force people as a society to kind of decide ex ante, cool, am I, am I in this pool of people that I know is pretty good above average, but well, I don't know. Um, well, the only way you can find out is to try. But if the cost is high, then it seems likely that there are some people who won't try simply because they don't know. So if we can reduce that cost, as we think we have done entrepreneur first, then you actually bring people into that pool of founders who are good founders who otherwise wouldn't have started. Um, so uh, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's something about can you justify to yourself that there are reasons why, you know, it kind of your, who you are makes you, gives you some chance of succeeding. Um, 
And I think if you if you kind of go through what those costs might be that mean that you shouldn't even try, I think mm-hmm. for the per, for the type of people who should be founders, um, actually most of those costs can be mitigated pretty quickly. So you know, kind of the financial cost is is obviously um, you know kind of real in that you know you both have the cost of foregoing uh, salary uh, and you know that you are likely to have a below market salary for some time, but equally the existence of things like accelerators, uh, you know, the existence of things like Entrepreneur First, which actually will pay you at least a small amount pre-company, somewhat mitigate that cost. Um, particularly because actually, if things really aren't going to work, you can often discover that relatively quickly. In other words, you can actually time limit uh, the, the amount of time when the financial cost of being a founder is, is very large. Um, so I think that's one, one kind of mitigation. And the second mitigation is that I think that career cost, you know, the kind of foregoing of career capital from being a founder is probably lower than it's ever been. Some of the evidence that we see entrepreneur first is that people who fail at being a founder uh, find it extremely easy to find uh, attractive employment very, very quickly increasingly often through, you know, kind of going to startups themselves, but also, you know, bigger tech companies, uh, venture capital funds, even traditional, you know, kind of big employers, banks, consultancies, etc. So I, I think, you know, the way we see it, you know, we've, we've written a bit about this, you know, we see that, you know, really ambitious young people uh, effectively are in a position where they're, you know, as we put it, an underpriced option, you know, so they have the option of being a founder they don't know whether that option is valuable because they don't know yet whether they're good enough. But actually the cost of finding out, you know, kind of conditional on a certain level of ambition is actually very low. And so we think that, you know, a risk of, uh, you know, kind of sounding a bit flippant, if you, if you are very ambitious and you think that you maybe would be a good founder, it's cheap enough to find out that you probably should. Yeah, that makes sense. Just on the point about the career capital opportunity cost of trying, what do you think has changed recently that means that you're not taking much like slowdown of your career to be a founder and that it's very easy to find a job if your startup doesn't work out? Well, I think, I think to be honest, this is probably somewhat uh, geographically, uh, geographically constrained. I think there probably are parts of the world, I'm sure, I know there are parts of the world where this isn't true and where this would be very bad advice. Um, I think it really comes down to the density of the network. So, you know, mm-hmm. you've obviously spent time in Silicon Valley and, you know, one of the reasons why the career cost of being a founder in Silicon Valley is very low is that, um, you know, there are so many people around you who know how to value that skill set and actually want uh, want people with that skill set and have jobs available that they're able to bring you into very quickly. Uh, so I think what we're seeing in London now and, you know, some other parts of Europe is that, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching the level of network density of entrepreneurs and investors and people in and around startups that actually there are enough people who know how to do value the skills that you get in trying and failing that they're actually willing and able to provide employment for, for people uh, who've had that experience. And the challenge is if you're trying to build a startup in a uh, you know, in a city or in a region where actually the economy is almost exclusively the traditional economy, there may be a real lack of people who are able to value um, and, you know, put a premium on that skill set and that background. And in that case, you know, you, you 
maybe do have a much higher opportunity cost in terms of career capital. Okay, yeah, that's a really interesting point. So if you can try out being a founder as part of a major startup hub, then you have much better backup options than if you do it in isolation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that is the other value of accelerators is that, or indeed, you know, for that matter, taking taking investment from, uh, you know, kind of well-known investors is that you actually become part of the network that uh, either explicitly or implicitly will also value the fact that you are a member of that network in providing you with opportunities. That's something we see very explicitly at EF where I think now probably the most common outcome for someone who fails at EF is to join an EF company. Yeah. Great. So let's go through a bit this kind of stages of figuring out whether startups are for you. So the first point you made was the first question can be, how can I lower my costs of trying as much as possible? And yes, can you mentioned some ways. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. As I say, so the two ways we would frame that are one, do you have a good reason for wanting to do it? So is, the, is your motivation the right one? And secondly, can you, you know, is the, conditional on who you are is the cost of trying low enough that it's worth kind of effectively buying that option. That, that, they're the two ways yeah. you would think about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then pointing out as well that there's quite a, there's a bunch of things you can do to reduce the costs of trying and you should like definitely take those first. Yeah, um, exactly. And exactly. so doing it in accelerator is one option there. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, in terms of then working out whether to like whether to try um, even once you've reduced the cost as much as, as you can. Um, you're kind of saying one thing is just like, is there like a problem or a skill set that gives you an edge? And then the other thing is kind of like thinking about yourself and thinking, am I ambitious enough? Um, is this like, could I kind of see myself potentially succeeding? Um, do you think there's any other concrete things you could look at to figure out whether it's worth trying. Um, from our point of view, often what it seems like to do is just at that point um, apply to accelerators. And if you get into a good one, then that's like a pretty good outside view sign. Um, and it's kind of hard to beat that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably true up to a point, although I think it's worth noting that most accelerators at that stage in the cycle, I don't think most accelerators necessarily have fully aligned interest with, with the applicants in that, you know, kind of accelerator gets to make many bets and um, you as an individual get to make one bet. Uh, so if you think about it yeah. from a, uh, there are some bets that are worth making if you get to make a hundred, but you would be foolish to make if you get to make one. Um, so I'm, I'm, in general, we, we tell our founders to be pretty nervous about using external validation um, in order to okay. you know, kind of yeah. risk adjust their chances. Um, yeah, that makes know, sense. And, and, and so, like, the more averse you are, the the less relevant the accelerator signal is. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing I would point out, obviously, coming, you know, I have my own interest in saying this, but you know, the, the challenge is that if we assume that people have to do all the, uh, you know, kind of team formation, idea validation, you know, initial product creation organically before doing the accelerator thing. Most people in, at least in places outside Silicon Valley where starting a startup is not the norm, most people will never even get to that stage if that's, if that's the kind of bar to uh, 
getting started. That's one of the reasons that we created Entrepreneur First. It's one of the reasons we created it in Europe is that actually I think there are a ton of people in Europe who would be good founders, but are not going to organically clear that bar of, you know, already being in the team, already having you know, a somewhat validated idea, maybe already having a product, maybe already having users. And that's actually a relatively high bar, probably a higher bar than is socially optimal for how many people should be founders. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So then, then there's a question of like, say you're a, around the stage, like a little bit before Entrepreneur First, or like kind of several months before you might get into a normal accelerator. Are there any like concrete signals you think you can look for to figure out whether this is like worth trying at this stage, or whether um, to push on with another option instead? No, yeah, well, I think. I mean, I, th- I think there are there are several. I I think. Well, one of the challenges with all questions related to um, you know, kind of data-driven approaches to startups or venture capital is that it's an industry built on outliers. So it almost kind of uh, sometimes you end up kind of reaching conclusions that it's hard to feel very certain about because it's the outliers that drive so much of the results. But I think yeah. from a uh, individual perspective, uh, this is where this is where the kind of motivation thing is so important in that I think even if you believe you would be exceptionally likely to be above average, it still doesn't make sense to start something unless you feel you have, you know, this absolute drive to do so. Um, by which I mean, I think the, the, the single biggest cause of failure in our experience is giving up, um, you know, which is why many, many people, you know, across, across ecosystems say that determination is the most important characteristic in a founder um, because mm-hmm. actually startups are really hard and a lot of the time you will quite rationally think maybe I should give up. So given that, I think, you know, if you've satisfied yourself that you do have um, you know, the right motivation, if you've satisfied yourself that you have the skills, experience, whatever, to, you know, believe you have a chance of being you know, the right side of the uh, distribution, then the question is, do you want to do this enough that you won't give up? Because if you will, then you know, the kind of expected value drops. If you will give up, the expected value drops pretty dramatically. Um, so, you, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to, at the individual level, talk about concrete indicators. But it's really, mm-hmm. you know, if someone told you, if someone told you that you couldn't do it, what would you? How would you respond? Um, which is why, again, I'm a little bit suspicious of relying too much on external validation. Because you know, within reason, uh, the ability to uh, keep going around some problem is, uh, you know, hugely, hugely valuable for, for long-term outcomes. Okay, great. So, I guess the other thing, the kind of next stage to talk about would maybe be, so you mentioned, like, you know, you can kind of test out your ability as a founder by actually trying. Um, but like, you know, many startups, like, you know, even when you get to the stage of Series A funding, it's still that like about 80% will fail. Um, so presumably like just some early success doesn't necessarily, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty left. And so I was interested to know a bit more about after you, someone's gone through Entrepreneur First, or say they're like three, six months into, um, actually working on it full time. What kinds of things do you look at at that point to uh, figure out whether to carry on or whether to uh, go and try something else? At which stage, sorry? 
like uh, three to six days. months after oh, no, you've three, been doing it full yeah. time. Well, I think kind of like at the end of Entrepreneur Fest. Yeah, yeah, get it. Sorry, yeah. Um, like well, I think there's um, and there are two. There become two separate issues, and this is this is where I think funding does matter less because of external validation than because of possibility. As in, you know, the ability to get some set of external investors to back something. You know, people being people who you want to work with. You know, that's a pretty clear. It's a pretty important signal, even if it's not sufficient. It's usually necessary. Um, that you actually can get the company to some stage where others want to back it. As you rightly say, it yeah. certainly doesn't guarantee success. But if you don't have it, you're often in, in significant problems um, unless you have some other source of funding. Um, so th- there's one thing about just can you continue? You know, is that actually a financially viable uh, situation for you? And then there's another question about, again, about motivation. And I think um, a lot of the time, a lot of the time I think that's that's the key is that, you know, there is maybe, um, uh, wondering whether I uh, agree with what I'm about to say, I think there is maybe too much stigma about saying, you know, kind of six months in, actually, you know what, this isn't the right, this isn't the right business for me right now. Um, if I want to make this succeed, it's going to take me another five, six, seven, eight, you know, 10 years to make it succeed. And that's not something I want to do. For me, that's a totally legitimate decision by a founder. Um, but uh, I think what, in my experience, the strongest founders, even if, you know, even though they certainly have their, you know, kind of moments of doubt, when they think through the question of, do I want to continue with this? It's not really, you know, they're not sitting down and weighing up the cost benefit analysis. It's just kind of obvious to them. Um, yeah. You know, so if you were to say to me, you know, is it, is it financially or, you know, career um, capital wise rational for you to, you know, carry on running entrepreneur first. Um, I suppose my immediate response would be one of kind of just shock and horror, you know, because that's not a question that ever <laughs> occurs to me. Um, whereas I think if you get to the point where, you, you know, six months in, you're you're saying, well, you know, here are the trade-offs. That may be a, um, uh, that may be a sign that actually this isn't the best use of your, you know, you know kind of human capital right now. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes a lot of sense in that if it's a fat-tailed uh, domain and you need to be, like, well above the average, like, if you start thinking it's a maybe, then, like, you should probably translate that to a no in, yeah, your, exactly. in your head. Exactly. Um, yeah. But then there is, like, a slightly, I guess maybe one response to that is it depends a lot on, you know, some people are just a lot more overconfident than others. Um, and, like, kind of method is going to, like, select people who are um i mean maybe that's just maybe that's kind of good in that like a lot of confidence is also necessary for this founder but i guess i wonder if it could kind of penalize people who are able to kind of like bear the statistics in mind a bit yeah 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 well that, that, I mean, <laughs> that is the great irony of it i mean the, the, the joke of course is that you know because of this um all successful founders are uh, rationally overconfident. Is the you know is the joke simply because they've been you know picked from picked from that distribution? Um, they were all wrong, wrong to be so confident. But some of them had to end up being right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean I think that's true. And you know to come back to you know a point I made earlier, that's why I'm really passionate about the work we do. In that I actually think that um, the level of 
confidence required for people to go on this journey is probably higher than is socially optimal. And there are some people who are probably more rational in their assessment of risk who actually would be good founders, um, you know, kind of if it were not for that. And so, you know, I think, you know, we should, as a you know, socially, we should look at ways of, of reducing the cost of very ambitious and very talented people becoming founders. And, you know, I think things like entrepreneur first, one way of doing that at the super early stage, but, you know, at the later stage, you know, one way of doing that is to have very large amounts of venture capital per capita. Um, and, you know, I think if you look at, this is not an area of expertise for me, so I'll probably butcher the data, but, you know, if you look at um, periods of very high levels of investment in, um, uh, in venture capital, I think what you often see is that um, even though, you know, as a taken as a whole as an asset class, venture capital may not get a great return for that. Socially, there often is a great return for that um, because more people do become founders and therefore the outliers end up being, you know, truly valuable. So I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, 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 I don't think we necessarily have the socially optimal uh, level of entrepreneurship in the UK. And, you know, I think ways to uh, address that, um, you know, as well as things like what we're doing is to increase the amount of venture capital available at the, you know, the kind of um, slightly late stage, which is still obviously very early stage in the scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, they would say this, but Paul Graham saying he thought, like, there could maybe be 50 times as many startups in, you know, the next couple of decades. Um, and, like, we're maybe a long way from the kind of maximum number of startups that would that you could have and that would be good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's absolutely true. Um, but I think that uh, outside Silicon Valley, the conditions that might need to exist for that to be true are probably very different for the conditions um, uh, in Silicon Valley. Hence, I think needing slightly different institutional uh, apparatus in, in other parts of the world from yeah. from what works in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So I just want to come back a little bit to like the idea of. So I mean, we we do sometimes meet and advise people who have kind of decided they want to be a, a founder or they want to try it out, and they're now just. Um, you know, they've now kind of like set out and they're exploring like different industries to like try and come up with an idea. Um, and, you know, sometimes people do seem to do this and get like some level of success. So I think, um, I think Homejoy was basically like this, where they talk about in the How to Start a Startup lecture that they tried out like 11 or 12 ideas before um, coming across Homejoy. And I mean, Homejoy eventually did. Homejoy has just failed, so maybe that's not a great example. But like, do you think it's the case that like sometimes people do start up, start out like to find a startup idea in like a kind of area that they don't have a pre-existing passion for, and succeed, but it's and it's just like much less likely. Or do you think it's like, you know, it's like you really should kind of never consider doing this. Um. I mean, never is a very big word. Um, I think I think the pool of people who do try that approach is sufficiently large and sufficiently talented that there will certainly uh, be people who succeed. Um, as you said, kind of obviously um, this time Homejai is not, but I know that you know, there are other people who have had that approach and, and been you know, successful. Uh, I think I'm right in saying um, that I may be wrong that, that Songkick uh, was formed through that approach. Um, 
I who was that again? Sorry, Sock Sonkick, who uh, you know, kind of British uh, YC and Sequoia <coughs> back company. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> that said, I think your chances of success <coughs> are certainly much less likely. Sorry, someone seemed to have uh, got a frog in my throat. Just going to grab some. Water. It's okay. Take <coughs> take a glass of water. <coughs> But I think what I would say, you know, and actually it's the approach that we started with at EF, and that we used to talk very much about pre-idea. We tend not to use that phrase quite as much anymore. Um, instead, we talk about pre-company, which I think is something a little bit different, which is I think it's very possible to um, find an idea within a narrow space. In fact, I think that's what most companies end up doing, even if they think they've started with an idea, is that it iterates so much that it ends up actually being another idea within the space. But I think it's very hard to, you know, from the space of all possible ideas, find a, you know, an idea from scratch. And the, the reason for that is that actually, you know, if you go back to that idea that we uh, discussed earlier about um, uh, kind of who should start startup and this idea of uh, the reason to believe that you'll succeed, one of the best reasons to believe that you'll succeed when others might not is, is what we would call founder idea fit. You know, as in, you know, mm -hmm. why you, why you for this idea? You know, one thing certainly I would say, having observed, you know, kind of 250 plus uh, aspiring, well, and founders, aspiring founders and founders over the last you know, three, four years, one thing I'd say very clearly is that um, there are people who have generally good uh, entrepreneurial skills, but I don't think there is very, very rare to find people who are just generically good founders. They typically are going to be really good founders for a particular idea. Um, mm -hmm. And given That's that, I think that you, the most dangerous thing about kind of searching through the space of all possible ideas to find one is just that it seems to reduce the chance of strong founder idea fit for whatever you do end up working on. Okay, yeah, sort of sense. Okay, so then the other area of things to talk about is <laughs> suppose you want to push ahead, but you're not ready for a traditional accelerator. Um, you know, it's uh, pre-company. What kinds of things do you think um, are really good next steps? And like in particular, in our last interview, you mentioned like learning to program as one of the things you'd put really highly. Um, does that still apply and have there been other, any other changes in what you think are kind of the best preparatory steps for being a startup founder? So I think we, we would still, um, I mean, to, uh, our strategy on entrepreneur first is to you know, kind of almost exclusively take people with technical backgrounds. Um, however, um, I suppose to slightly modify that, what we would say is that by technical background, we mean someone who has the technical skills required to you know, make a major contribution to whatever product they're likely to end up working on. So if that means, you know, if they're likely to be working on, uh, I don't know, a hardware product, for example, where, the, you know, the most appropriate technical background isn't a, you know, ability to program, but, you know, mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or whatever it might be, then, you know, obviously that, that's what we would look for. And this is, again, you know, back to the idea of founder idea fit. What is the, um, you know, what is the kind of requisite technical skill 
for the kind of ideas that this founder should start. Um, and so I suppose what, what the way we would think about that is that you know, speed and the ability to iterate is so important um, in the early stage that if you can't make a, um, you know, if you can't uh, shorten that kind of gap time-wise between inspiration and having an idea and execution as in putting it into practice, then you're going to have some real challenges. And so we, we still, um, you know, we still very much look for people with that background because they can get stuck into, you know, kind of building that product, iterating on that product for, from day one. Um, so, you know, again, like for me, this founder idea fit thing rules everything. So, you know, for thinking about uh, you know, an organization like 8,000 hours, you know, does 8,000 hours need a, you know, technical co-founder? You know, probably not. Um, as much as a search engine does, right? Because um, the right founders for 80,000 hours, what being able to build the product at you know, 80K uh, means something very different from what being able to build the product at Google meant. And so, I, you know, I think, you know, we're not, we're not religious about the um, emphasis on technical skills. It's simply that we believe that founders need to be able to make a major contribution to whatever product it is that, you know, they're likely to end up building. Okay, yeah, so kind of you would see as a first step just maybe we should see that a bit more broadly than just learning the program, which would be like develop a strong technical skill that's relevant to like the problems you're most interested in. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't downplay the program and say it's not a retreat from uh, that position. It's still very much what we look for. You know, I think yeah. learning to program is a, the, the fantastic thing about learning to program is that it opens up uh, the ability to make a contribution in a very wide range of problem areas. Um, but, but yeah, ultimately, I think it comes down to who you are and you know, what it is you're likely to work on. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so what other steps do you think would be most useful, like you know, working at a large company, working at a startup, going to graduate school? Um, yeah, like are there any other big options that you think are like particularly worth going after? So we've looked a little bit into the kind of data for this among EF uh, participants and I think, I don't think there is a right answer for that. Um, I mean, I think, again, if you, if you like take this idea which I've been referring to quite a lot of, you know, your kind of abilities as a founder can't be known up front. You know, they're not they're not some sort of like analytical fact about you. They're discovered through trying. What that means is that you, it's very difficult to say ex ante which experiences will make you a, a better founder, partly because it depends on who you are and what kind of company you um, end up founding. I mean, I think there are some, there are definitely some experiences that uh, seem to be, seem to be useful but it's somewhat difficult to disentangle whether they're actually useful experiences or whether they're the kind of experiences that people who are good founders seek. Um, so, you know, one thing I'm very suspicious of is, you know, you, you often get people saying, oh, look how many you know, Google on my uh, startups or even, um, you know, kind of Goldman Sachs or whatever. Um, but of course, you know, I think it's more that, what what are the careers that in a given region or economy the most ambitious people are drawn towards? Well, you know, if the if the economy then you know, kind of moves in such a way that starting a startup becomes attractive for ambitious people, then it's very likely that a lot of them will have backgrounds in whatever the previous 
previously dominant industry was. So, you know, in London, yes, there are a ton of ex-finance people running around starting startups, um, and some of them will be successful. Does that mean that being a financier or banker or whatever will uh, give you a head start in starting a startup? No, it just tells you that the same people who are attracted to the things that make being a founder attractive are attracted to banking in the UK sometime in the last 10 years. So um, I'm a little bit skeptical that there's really good answer to this question. Um, mm-hmm. However, I think one thing that is certainly true, but extremely difficult to achieve is if you can observe a really good founder execute at close quarters, you know, for a sustained period of time, I think learning kind of habits of excellence, um, founding habits of excellence is, is hugely valuable. Um, the reason I say it's difficult to achieve is you're effectively playing venture capitalist in that respect. You know, you're looking for an early stage company that you believe will take off in such a way that learning the habits of the founder of that company will be a valuable thing. That's quite difficult. Um, yeah. It's quite difficult to find that opportunity and then secure that opportunity. Yeah, and that plays a bit into the, is it easier to be an early employee um, you know, like how how is the expected earnings of being an early employee and trying to join a rocket ship compared to trying to be a founder? Um, which you know, like YC recommended that like most people should try and like identify a rocket ship and jump on that. Um, but then there's like the response that it's like really hard to seems really hard to spot the best companies to join. Um, yeah. I've noticed, I've noticed that uh, investors in general have a, a very strong preference for telling people this. Um, I think it's twofold. Uh, the, reasons for, the reasons for it are twofold. One, it's what they do for a living, so it feels easier to them than perhaps it actually is, and they forget that they yeah. have to make many bets and an early employee gets to make one. Secondly, um, in general, the single biggest problem that uh, uh, early-stage companies have is hiring, so uh, at some margin it makes sense for investors to encourage people to become employees. Um, does that mean that it's actually good advice for, to try and implement as a individual? I think the jury's probably out on that one. I mean, I would think that if you're quite risk averse, then the profile of the payoff is going to be a lot better than being a startup founder, um, or at least like the difference between the two is going to be like a lot less than it first seems. Um, but then, yeah. yeah, like I mean, I guess it's under which field are they? If that's the calculation you're making, then you know there are a lot of careers that have much better uh, profiles than being an early employee at a rocket ship. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it feels like it feels a little bit strange as a way of minimising risk, or or even like you know optimising risk. Um, you know, the, the level of risk that you are avoiding is basically salary risk uh, for the first X months. It's not. Yeah. Um, it's not really. Um, yeah, it's not startup risk. You're still taking that on, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so then maybe as a just kind of wrap up question, uh, you know, we interviewed, we had an in-depth interview with you on the blog um, from I think it must be around two years ago now. Mm. Um, what? Yeah. Are there any big things that's changed in your view of like who should do startups and how to go into them since then? And like in particular, any things you've learned from uh, working with the most recent cohorts and seeing how the early cohorts yeah. have gone on and performed? Um, yeah, I think that, I think there are. Um, I think 
probably the biggest thing that's applicable to individuals is that I, I think I now believe much more strongly in this idea of edge um, than mm-hmm. I did two years ago. Um, I think I probably move. I think I probably put. You know, I mean, a lot of the things I've said um, uh, today. Actually, you know, I think if you were to uh, run a diff on the uh, uh, two two interviews, you know, I think probably the two things that probably should come out are one. I, I now put a very large emphasis on this idea of founder idea fit. You know, I, I think you know people should think very hard about not just being a founder, but founder of what. Um, and secondly, given that, I think having a very clear edge within a space really matters. And if you don't have one, you probably shouldn't start a company. Um, so I, I think that's probably the single. I wouldn't say it's a change. It's just a, it's probably the emphasis I would put now, but maybe I wouldn't have last time. Incidentally, that probably points to what people should do, you know, you know, to answer the uh, question, the previous question about what people should do to prepare for being a founder from a slightly different angle. So there's one thing I might say is if you know you want to be a founder, but you don't feel ready yet, then think about what edge you would like to have and how to develop it. Um, and, you know, maybe that's a technical one. Maybe it's a problem industry one. Yeah, but actually having that edge is going to stand you in, in very good stead. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting thought. And like, what in particular made you change that emphasis over the last uh, few years? Um, I think I, I think really just observation of people with very clear edges and the speed with which they ideate and the speed with which they uh, kind of get to some sort of problem solution fit just seems to be much much higher. So, you know, we, we've been through kind of various uh, iterations of uh, categorizing, you know, the kinds of founders uh, that, that we see at EF. So, you know, we talk about technical edge, we talk about problem edge. Um, and I think what, what we see is that it's pretty tough to be um, a pure generalist in startups, and edge really matters. And I think, you know, early on at EF, we... Uh, probably uh, overweighted being, um, you know, like a smart generalist, probably because mm-hmm. we felt like we were smart generalists, if we'd be really honest with ourselves. Um, and um, I guess what we'd say now is uh, edge really does matter, and, and generalism is um, really valuable at some stage in a company, but not necessarily right at the start. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah, was there anything else you'd like to add, or should we leave it there? Uh, yeah, I think I think we've covered kind of a, a lot of ground, actually. Um, I think, I guess what I would say is, uh, the only thing I'd add is that, you know, the, it's exciting, you know, I, I focused a little bit on geography and the things I said today, and I think that actually really does matter. And I think um, uh, escaping a purely Silicon Valley-centric view of um, uh, who should be a founder and when and why and how is quite important because actually uh, the number of places in the world where this is now a realistic option for people is growing very very rapidly i think and as i say, i think they each each different ecosystem will have different institutional requirements and so i think being slightly you know if, you, if you're someone thinking about uh this from the point of view you know from an atk point of view of maximizing impact thinking about where you do this and you know and how that mediates um the advice that you read online and, and elsewhere i think it's actually pretty important Okay, great. And um, when is your next application deadline? Uh, well, we uh, we have one coming up uh, two weeks to, two weeks today. So uh, Thursday is the thirty first of December, New Year's Eve. Okay, so you've 
you've still got a few weeks to apply. Um, okay, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Ben. Okay, bye.